Morning, everybody. Thank you very much for having us here. Um, I just get set here for a second. We how'd we go? We work with the the ministry Transform the Nations, and we just want to take you on a little bit of a journey this morning. We'd like to take you on a bit of a walk through. Nepal, introduce you to a little bit of the, the culture, a little bit of what goes on there. Um, the ministry that we're involved in is involved in, in a very, it's a fairly heavy industry, fairly heavy topic. We won't have any images that will distress or negatively impact anyone, but we will be talking about the sex slave trade. And so that the, the wording that we use will come up a lot if you've got people under 30 that you're worried about hearing that bit, now's your opportunity to head for the door. Otherwise, there's really nothing here that's offensive. The children that we're working with are living in this from day to day. So we just need to balance that. Everything you hear today is very filtered. Everything's designed um, for us to be palatable for us here in the West. So, but there is the, the, those mentions. And so, yeah, if anyone else is sensitive to that sort of thing, now's your chance. Um, when we were first invited to work with the ministry group Transform the Nations, I was geographically challenged and the first thing I had to know was where is Nepal? <laughs> I'd heard of it, I'd heard of Kathmandu, I knew you could go there and buy hiking boots, uh, canoes, all that sort of stuff, just down there near Kiwana, sweet, don't even need a passport, we're off. Not quite. 16 hours later in a plane they had me there. Uh, so Kathmandu, uh, sorry, Nepal is a, a landlocked small area with China to the north. You've got the Himalayan mountains as one of the borders uh, and then you've got India and the Asia subcontinent to the south. Uh, it's mountainous area, a little bit of low-lying areas where they do some rice farming, that sort of thing, towards India, but mostly it's fairly mountainous countryside. Um, around about 26 million people in the population there, depending on where you get your figures from, they floats up and down. Uh, capital is Kathmandu, not the shoe shop down the coast here. Uh, around about two and a half million people living there. I don't know how they do it, but they all seem to ride about four million scooters every day. <laughs> all over the place, Rafferty's rules on the road. Um, interesting, very interesting. Nepal is an absolute sensory overload. The sights, the sounds, the smells are incredible. They love colour as a culture, absolutely love colour. The buildings are coloured, they, uh, they fly the Buddhist prayer flags and a lot of the areas when they're new they're all brightly coloured. You've got lots of winding narrow streets for want of a more correct term. Um, not super wide, uh, you can see these are little Suzuki Mighty Boy type vehicles, so they're just tiny little things. Um, and they're jammed up against one side of the street so they can open the other side so that we could all get in to get a ride to church. That's a two-way street, and trucks are the main other vehicle that you have to pass in that street. Um, Coles, Woolies, IGA, got nothing on this joint. And anyone that has anything to do... Not just electricity, that's got your internet, that's got everything all in there. 
okay? As we travelled around, this guy was standing in the middle of a five-lane, any direction. Like in the west, we all go clockwise round a roundabout. That doesn't exist. And if you want to, if you're approaching a roundabout, and you know we would head around the roundabout to turn right. If you're approaching the roundabout and there's a break in any of the traffic, you just go straight across to the right. Traffic comes, we wait. So there's lots of lots of instant prayer worries when you're a new and in a taxi in the park. Lots of ties still with tradition. Lots of traditional dress and garb still worn. Glory's um, fashioning a, a kilter that the ladies wear. Um, many of the young people still wearing traditional clothing. Heavy mix of, of the Western influence is now being seen, but still lots of ties back to their, their cultural past. We run a, a the ministry over there is involved in the rescue of children. Um, we run lots of programs to make that work. Our primary goal, our primary mission for being in Nepal is to share the gospel, is to see people come to a saving knowledge of Christ. The way we do that is what we're going to unpack with you this morning. So we're there very much focused on getting the gospel message into the hands of the local people in their culture. We operate a, a guest house over there so that we can take visitors, we can take teams, we've got a base. It's in an area called Nayabasti, which is a very low socioeconomic area, it's a very poor area, but we chose it in there, one, because we can afford the rent, but two, so that we can rub shoulders with the locals. We can trade with them, we can build relationships, and we can also introduce them to the gospel message. And it's working very well in that way. Um, I'd like to introduce you, you guys, most of you guys will know Graham Kerr, he's the guy with the hair on his head. Graham is our CEO, he's headed up and begun the Ministry of Transform the Nations. Um, the gentleman with him is Pastor Raju Sundas, and Pastor Raju heads up Hosanna Church, and Hosanna Church is the church that has invited us into Nepal. So we're, we're a ministry that has actually been asked to come, we're there by invitation, we haven't gone in and said this is how you've got to do things and, and this is the way things need to work. We c we're in there helping them with what they're doing. So everything is culturally sensitive, the linguistics are worked out for the different people groups and when the West pulls out, it's a self-perpetuating ministry. It's not going to collapse or implode as soon as the, the West draws back. We are, however, heavily needed for guidance and for helping them with the regulations and dealing with governments and, and abiding by those sorts of laws and regulations that are imposed. And obviously the West is their cash cow. We, have, we are there to help support financially everything that needs to be done and give them lots of great ideas and opportunities on how they can improve and do what they're doing. So the work that we do, the work that we're involved in there is in rescuing women that have been forced into a brothel environment. They've been prostituted for many years. We're there to rescue children that have been stolen from their homes and put into that same environment. We're there to prevent that from happening again. Once the children are rescued, we're there to offer them an education, to give them somewhere safe to live and grow up, and training in skills so far as education goes, but also life skills. So if you've had a big chunk of your childhood taken away, you've missed out on a lot of that development stuff. So it's an opportunity for us to reinvest into these young lives and to give them a second shot at life. Now, to introduce that, I'd just like to play a little clip um, that has just been put together. 
just to give you a little bit of an insight into what's there. You'll see in this clip um, barred windows, you'll see mesh across entries, you'll see little alcoves and locks on doors. These are actual places that we've rescued some of our girls and children and women from. And the, the groups that are involved are some of the, the people that we partner with to assist in what we're doing. It'll just give you a little bit of an insight into what we work with. And this one's got the audio, guys. Yep. Eliminate that. Okay. All good. There are children, there are women out there who are getting sold. There is a disaster that is happening in humanity, which needs to be stopped. When it comes to sex, they don't mind the untouchability. They, they don't mind touching the women. And they want to eliminate that poverty using their daughters. The traffickers seem to always go one step ahead of us. It can happen to any of our girls. Here is a child who has been raped 50 times, 100 times, 1,000 times. And she still has the extraordinary generosity to forgive mankind for all the exploitation that she has been subjected to. To me, that is the testimony of humanity. Brought from brokenness to wholeness. They know life much better than us. If we use the victim as a change maker. Each one of us have to find a way to respond. Wherever we are, however we are, whatever we are doing. I made a commitment. I would do something for the cause of bad people. There are some gems and some wonderful, beautiful people change and transform totally. That gives us hope. A hope of justice. We don't know how long it takes, but we'll keep on fighting until these people see justice. Stand up today before it's too late. Thank you for rescuing me. In Nepal, there's a number of different people groups that we are working with at the moment. Um, the Chapang people group are a people group that aren't that far outside of Kathmandu, but they live right up in the tops of the mountain peaks. Okay, they're up there, very poor area. Um, they're right up in the very highest of high parts. It's, um, it's a hard slogged on foot to get up there. They live in caves and small dwellings up there. And these guys, incredible poverty, the area, the ground is so poor they have to bring soil in for their gardens. They can grow their food for about eight months of the year and the balance of the time um, they're just hungry and the children are on borderline starvation. The kids have a six hour walk if they want to go to village school and the, the teachers there get around about an hour a day with those kids because then they're just they're too tired 
uh, too hungry and they want to have a sleep. Um, the gospel has gone in here, been very well received, uh, and the, the villagers are converting in great numbers um, to the grace and love of God. They've built their own church. Um, this is their church finished. That's all they can afford to build. Um, they have some plastic that they'll put over the, the framing at the top there in the wet season to keep a lot of the rain out. Um, but these guys are one of the people group that we're working with to give their kids uh, an education, to get them down into the hostels and to give them a shot at life with an education so that they can, they all want to go back and help their, their parents, they want to go back and help their village and if we can do that through a Christian school education then that's part of our goal with these guys. The Tharu are another people group that we work with. These guys have a bonded servant culture so that when mum's pregnant uh, mum and dad will find a, a wealthy landowner, business owner, family and they will bond that unborn child to that wealthy family. So when the kids are four, five, six, they're then handed across and they are there for life. And that those kids can be doing anything from, you know, maintenance through lawns, um, on buildings, they can be cleaning in the house, they can be doing the dishes, all those sorts of duties. If you're an attractive female, there's no full stop on the sentence that talks about job description. So it can end anywhere and tragically often it does. The Bardi people are the primary people group that we work with. <coughs> These guys in, uh, in Nepal, like a lot, of, a lot of areas in and around there, they operate in the caste system. So you have your high caste, middle caste, which you know your business operators, high caste are, are doing all of your political work and they're your leaders, very wealthy, all the way down to your poor and impoverished marginalised people groups. Now the Bardi people are below all of that they're in the untouchables. Now when you get into the untouchable castes, you don't communicate with them, you, obviously you can't touch them, but they are the untouchables of the untouchables. These guys are referred to as below the sole of your feet, okay, and these guys live in extreme poverty. Um, the villages are right up the top end of the country, okay, very difficult to get up there. Uh, you have to use the, some of the mountain roads, you see a lot of heavy vehicles carrying goods to and from the towns just short of where the, the girls' villages are and you've often seen the world's worst roads, you know, the shows on telly, it features on there regularly. Um, and I prayed plenty and plenty hard taking these photos, hanging out of a bus that's slipping and sliding all over those little tracks. When you get up to the area where these guys are, they just live in a simple village situation again the gospel has gone in and been very well received. The village situation there now is, is um, heavily impacted by the gospel and very different to what it was before we first arrived. You can see in the shot here, everything they own, they're either wearing or they're sitting on it. The only thing inside the, the house is that water urn. Okay. Now, the girls that we deal with here live in these sort of dwellings. Okay, these Bardi people are so poor they're not allowed to own the title Mr or Mrs. Their caste system says that they're not allowed to own land, they're not allowed to have high paying jobs, they can't even build their village on the river bank. They have to actually build their village on the rocky river bed. Okay, so not on the, not on the grassy edges, on the actual, and that's fine for the dry season. 
come wet season, it becomes a real headache. And in the, this year, the, they had a big wet season and they lost a, one village lost around about 45 homes and, and people that went with it. This particular building here, this is a, one of the bedrooms where a lot of the children would sleep. Mum and Dad are labourers and when they, they, when they put their head down at night, they're almost unconscious. They've really worked hard and when they go to sleep, they're out. This sort of a dwelling though, there's no doors, no windows, nothing's lockable. The traffickers, these guys aren't far from the border, the traffickers will swarm through villages and they just pick children up out of their sleep. Mum and Dad wake up in the morning and they haven't got a clue where their kids are gone. They know where their kids are gone, but they don't know how to get them back, they don't know which way, to which direction. And those children are then sold, taken across the border and sold. This is a, a shot of Japrokla. This is one of the villages where a lot of our girls and children have come from. So you can see right up in the uh, top corner up here, that's the river in the dry season. And this green bush, that's the edge of the, that's the river bank starts there and heads up this way. Okay, so down there, in on the rocks. Village life is not a, an easy life. This lady's doing the dishes and just scouring using river sand. Uh, we've got lots of programs in place to help Bardi boys. Bardi boys are, are in danger. There's always the potential for organ trafficking. Um, there's no post-operative care given in that situation. Um, and we also want to work with the boys because if you want to start to change the thinking, if you want to start to change the culture of a nation, you've got to work with the next generation of men. Got, there's got to be value start to be placed on women. At the moment, there's none. Okay, so if you want to ch make changes and inroads into that, you've got to educate and start to change the thinking of the men. We've got programs in place for the current generation, but we also want to have a longer-term approach. We want to offer holistic fixes for these problems that we see. So the Bardi boys have got some, some wonderful opportunities ahead of them despite the difficulties that they're currently living in. And we want to raise up the next generation of leaders and bring them up through out of the programs that we're offering these kids. Begging and, and street urchins, all those sorts of things are real issues if these kids get introduced to a township or into a city and they're not in an education facility and they're not in a hostile environment. If they're just taken and, and if they run away, they end up as street beggars. You can see in this shot here, See down all these river rock behind the kids? The mums and dads will sit in a pool of water in the river around about the size of this group over here. It's around, sort of shoulder to chest deep water. They're lifting those rocks up with their feet, passing them up to the children, and children are carrying them up the, further up the river bank to where grandmothers and other siblings are, si are sitting, and then they'll bust them down into gravel-sized pieces. Uh, they'll then mix it with some river sand, and they sell it to the Western Concrete Company. Each family earns around about $2 a week. So they're well and truly on the poverty line. When we talk to our... Uh, that's the sort of hard work that mums and dads are doing day in, day out, and that's why they crash at night and, and the traffickers can take off with the kids without raising an alarm. When we talk to our kids when they come in from the village environment, a lot of them tell us that they have uh, been collecting firewood and... I used to think, oh, you've got to get a, you know, an armful of firewood so that you can cook every day and do your meals. Um, I never thought for a minute that they walked as far as what they had to do to scavenge firewood or carry loads as big as what they do. 
They also t tell us that they cut grass to feed the animals. Um, and when our kids come in, we've got a little girl in the hostel at the moment, she's three years old and she's got leathered hands like a 70-year-old farmer who's been, you know, working the land all his life. And this little darling has just been busting her back her whole little life. And there's hundreds and hundreds of them in that situation. So the village life is a very dark, very poor, very destitute environment. It's really hard. Um, from there, though, when we, we get calls from all of our children that come in, all come in with parental consent. If parents hear that the traffickers are nearby, they're in the villages in their area, they'll contact Pastor Raji and or one of his representatives and they'll ask for their children to be brought into transform the nations into our hostels and prevent them from being stolen and please to give them an education. So there's, that's that preventative side of what we're doing as well as the actual crossing the border and rescuing children. Uh, all of our kids are there of their own free will. They're all there with parental consent. They're free to come and go at their own free will. Obviously, once they've come into us, not too many want to go back to what they've been in before. So from that village environment, from that, the harshness of that day-to-day -day grind, we bring them in, we put them in our hostels. Our hostels are simple and by our standards, you know, we would sort of probably not stay there ourselves if you had a choice. But they're clean, they're bright, they're, they're well, they're freshly painted. And the children, for the first time in their lives, they've got a bed. For the first time in their lives, they've got a pillow. They're getting a meal, meals every day. They've got basic health care needs taken over and we're clothing them. Um, the thing about flicking through some of these photos of some of, of the girls that you see here is the size and age of the kids that are impacted by this industry. Staple diet over there is, is uh, rice, dal with all sorts of curries and the kids that have come from the work ethic that they have been raised with, when we ask them to do the dishes, no issue, no problem at all. Um, our older girls, we've got teenage girls and young women. These guys have are rescued from the brothel environment and they've lost big chunks of their childhood. They've been there, many of them, for a long period of, periods of time, years. Some of them have been there six and eight years. So for these young ladies, they've missed their childhood. A lot of them have missed a lot of their education. So we're operating pre-vocational training programs. Give these guys back some self-esteem. We've got a lot of counselling to do with these guys to get them to stand up again and through these programs they're learning life skills, they're learning things that you and I would take for granted that our kids wouldn't even think twice about. We've got a lady here in the middle, Margaret, she operates a high-end cupcake business here in Australia and she's been travelling over for a number of years now to teach these young ladies those baking skills, to teach them how to prepare stuff for a cafe. Uh, yeah, they have a lot of fun in it. So all of these things are just creating pathways for life, giving these guys a new opportunity, a new shot at life. Uh, part of what Margaret's doing is in that all of that baking and preparation, the girls are also learning seamstressing, hairdressing, they're doing all sorts of beautician, makeup courses, all those sorts of skills, uh, a lot of tailoring. Um, we're running seven overtly Christian schools in Kathmandu and we're teaching our girls to make the uniforms for all of those. We're in the process of setting up a cafe 
So when the girls are fully trained and the cafes opened up, um, we'll be able to employ them. So we'll be able to keep them longer than those educational years. We also have, with, with having seven schools, we've got a lot of staff, we've got a lot of principals. Uh, we're opening up the schools to accept um, people, uh, sorry, students from the local areas where the schools are. They're all in Cat... Uh, no, we've got one regional school and the rest are in Kathmandu. So we're constantly sending over educators, principals, both current and retired, to help train our staff over there. Uh, being able to do away with the rote system and bring in um, new God in everything with a godly biblical worldview on education and how God is in numbers and in English and in science and in everything. The kids are receiving a really high-end, like a private school, Western-style education. Schools are English-only zones, um, and so they're, they're learning a second language, all adding value to, the, to their education that they're offered. You can see we supplied the uniforms, but the it's a very formal way of going to school. So leather shoes, trousers, ties, all that sort of thing. We've had the wonderful privilege of up in one of the towns near where the girls come from, uh, the local uh, village chief there, not yet a Christian guy. Uh, there's about 250 in his village and he said, I want you guys to put some of your Christian staff into my village school. And that's a tremendous opportunity and a wonderful provision from the Lord. In the town closest to there, to the, to the villages where our girls have been coming from, we've, all, we've been able to open uh, a new Christian school up in that area. And it's just been a real buzz to see the difference that it's starting to make already up in those areas. We were up there, had the privilege of being involved in the opening of that school, and we got to meet this lovely lady here. She's a traditional Nepalese lady, and she was just thrilled with the opportunities that were now being given to the children in the school. The opportunities that she never had a chance to see, an education that she could only dream of. Village schools operate, but they're sort of daycare without the rules. Um, there's very little education. Um, it's, it's sort of a child mining till the kids are old enough to, to be working. So this, this lady, she was just buzzing with... Um, with the opportunities that were now being presented for the young people. She could see, she'd caught a glimpse of, of the changes that were coming. So that's a little bit of an overview, a little bit of a brief understanding of what's involved there. A lot of our girls have really done it hard, and especially our older pre-vocational ladies. They have tried to escape from the brothel environment. They have tried to get away from that sort of a lifestyle. They're not there because that's where they want to be. And oftentimes, we see the marks where they have tried to end their life. So to give them a second chance, to give them another opportunity uh, is just fantastic. I'm just going to ask Gloria if she'll share part of one of the testimonies of one of our girls. Morning, church. I'm going to um, bring a story of Chandra is her name. And Chandra lived in the poverty of the Bardi people but when her mother remarried, her stepfather left her and other family members. These family members mistreated her to the point where she ran away. She ran away and she washed dishes at a restaurant to earn her keep for a time. She was six years old. 
Other relatives promised her an education and assistance but instead drugged her and sold her into an Indian brothel. The first time a man chose her, she screamed and fought, so the brothel owner beat her. She was now 12 years old. The brothel owner offered her 5,000 rupee per month, but he kept half and gave the other half to the relatives that sold her. She was forced to have sex more than 40 times per day. She was kept naked and not allowed to dress so she could service more clients. After 18 months, a police raid seized all the girls in the brothel and took them to holding cells. After 23 days in these gross cells, the brothel owner bribed the police for their return. The girls were raped repeatedly by the police while in custody. Chandra was put in a bath and subjected to electric shock, which caused her temporary brain damage and left her unable to testify against the brothel owner. Even in this state, she was forced to have sex. She was kept drugged and under surveillance. Her health fell away to the point that the brothel owner could no longer earn from her, so he called relatives to come and get her. Once back in her village, they contacted Transform the Nations, who quickly adopted her into a hostel and began the healing process for her. This was January 2012. We want to show you a clip of Chandra from when she came into the hostel, out of the brothel, to when she, nine months later, and the transformation in her life. So we'll just show you that now. So Chandra was brought in from brokenness to wholeness and that's the love of Christ and the healing power of Jesus. Uh, Chandra accepted Christ and upon reading the story of Ruth where Ruth said, your God is now my God, she changed her name as a symbol of leaving her past behind her. These there are thousands more girls like Ruth being trafficked from Nepal. When Ruth was brought in, remember in the story I told you she was electrocuted? Um, we didn't think Ruth would ever be able to learn. When she first came in, um, she asked if she could be ha start an education. She was placed in year four 
and she just began to heal. Her, her mind, God was really at work in healing her. She asked Pastor Raju if she could be, go a little bit higher, so he placed her in year eight. And this year, we are so proud of this, and we are so thankful for what God's done in her life. She has become one of the top ten in Kathmandu in all the schools in her ach academic achievement. Now that's the grace of God and the healing power of God. So from our um, Rescued Girls, we also have a Miriam Baby Centre and this is very close to my heart. And what is the Miriam Baby Centre? It is where we rescue babies who have been found on the rubbish dump, who are placed at doorsteps where their, their mother has died in childbirth or she um, has had to run away and leave the baby because she cannot pay for the medical bill. So we're bringing these little darlings and care for them and they're abandoned and they're mistreated and they're left. And I... I just want to share another story with you of a 19-year-old girl who was angry at her mother and she was discontent with her lot. She was upset of being a menial cleaner in a boarding facility. She was tired of not being able to enjoy a typical 19-year-old's life. One day she was approached to run away and leave it all behind to come and enjoy a life of adventure and love. She grabbed the opportunity and she lived her dream until it all fell apart with the news of her pregnancy. She had to make a choice, the relationship or the pregnancy. This choice ended up being made for her with a backyard abortion booked. This young girl chose at the last minute to return home to her abusive situation rather than end her baby's life. Her mother ensured the pregnancy was hushed as in the 1960s this was not the era for a girl to be unwed and pregnant. The baby was born and promptly adopted out. That young woman was my mother and I am that baby, saved from abortion. And this is why I have such an, a connection with the babies being rescued, having that second chance at life because that's what God gave me. And I'm really thankful for that. Thanks. So in a, in a ministry like that, like this, there's, there's both sides of it. We see the really, the dark, we see the blackness, and then we see the transformation that happens when people accept the glorious light and love of Christ. And it's, it's a real privilege and honour to be able to see that and to see the transformation like you saw in Ruth there. We're seeing it in child after child, in young woman after young woman. It is just an absolute buzz to be a part of. So one of the other things that Gloria and I have charge over with the ministry is the sponsorship program. All of our students, all of our children, all of our young ladies are all available for um, sponsorship 
It helps us to meet the costs involved in looking after them. Uh, other ways to help, more than we take short-term mission trips over, stay in the guest house that we showed you earlier, come over and check it all out, be part of a team, send a team from the church. Um, get to visit with the kids in the hostels and love on the kids. Uh, we've had a, a bunch of people from Village Avenue Church over there just September, just gone, uh, and they took clowning, face painting and ballooning over there and just showed the children that there is, uh, you know, the ability to smile outside of their situation, the ability to be able to see that there's another side to life. It's, we've had guys go over and do youth concerts, uh, so music speaks profoundly in these situations. Um, bring your life skills. Being in the West, you don't have to be uh, a full academic. We've got more life skills over here by the time we're 10 than a lot of the rest of the world ever has an opportunity to see. Share those with the rest of the world. Tim in the middle of the photo here is a motorcycle mechanic in Brizzy um, and he's sponsoring a little girl over there and he's just smitten. And Tim's been over about four times in the last couple of years and he's taking to sharing his life skills. With the four million scooters that we spoke of, there's very little facility over there for maintenance. No one knows how to check oils and, and waters and tyre pressures, all that sort of thing, or repair them if they stop. So Tim's training our guys in our boys' programs and we're going to open a garage and get those guys into a business that will be self-sustaining. Another opportunity that we've had terrific privilege of being involved with, there's a, general, a billionaire guy in Indonesia who has offered our senior students uh, scholarships uh, at a, his own Christian university. He owns hospitals and shopping complexes and Myers and all those sorts of things in Indonesia. And in his Christian university, he's given us open-ended scholarships for our seniors if they can get their English up to scratch uh, actually, he's going to help us with that as well. Um, so these guys are in there, full scholarship, all the textbooks, th and they're going to be qualified teachers. And then they're going to come back and work in our school. So there's a career pathway. It's having that holistic view of everything so that there's a here and now for the immediate problem, but then we've also got to have a, an eye on the longer-term stuff. So that's a wonderful opportunity. We need to raise $1,000 per year, per student, to support those guys. Uh, everything else is covered off, so it, they can live on 20 bucks a week, which is, you know, your $1,000 a year, so it's cheap as to keep them there. So if you wanted to help us, here's some prayer points. Um, our schools, like I said, we've just opened them up uh, to the locals in the areas where the schools are, and we need new classrooms. The schools in Kathmandu, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of schools, lots of people doing lots of good work over there. Not all Christian schools, but they're all, all schools are ranked. Everyone starts at a class three, and this year our schools have been recognised for their excellence, and we're one of uh, the very few schools that have achieved uh, the number one ranking, which is a, a real coup, a real feather in the cap for the ministry, and it's just a way of us to be reaffirmed in the the quality of the education that we're offering to these kids. We need to get some new classrooms going um, and we're looking to get that cafe up and running. So there's lots of opportunities there. If you've got more money than you can hold in your wallet, you're welcome to pass it our way. Um, love you to pray for us. That's the primary thing we'd, we'd really like you to do is add us to your church. 
prayer roster to the church prayer calendar. Keep us in mind there. Follow the journey on any one of the Facebook sites. Um, so you're welcome to see what's going on. Be kept up to date there. And Gloria and I ourselves, we're full-time with the ministry. We're in volunteer capacity. Um, I left my office in her handbag. Um, so our overheads are low is what that comment means. We run from a mobile phone. So the money just goes back to the kids. Okay? Um, we just come back from a tour of, of central Queensland and we're visiting churches, just doing this sort of thing, sharing with folk, making them aware of what's going on in the world and just getting them to be in prayer for it. And I just doubled the number of grey hairs that I didn't want to have just tiptoeing in between roo carcasses so we're, and dodging roos. So we're raising funds to put a bull bar on the front of our ministry vehicle and you're, you're welcome to join us and help us with that one as well. Other ways to help, there's a Christmas appeal that we run every year so that we can give the children a new set of clothing and that we can throw a Christmas party. Sounds really simple here, but a lot of the children don't have an understand, a true understanding of the true meaning of Christmas. And a Christmas party is a wonderful opportunity for us to show them the joy of a party, of being together that way, but to walk them through uh, the gospel message once more. Drop downstairs after church, after you do your turning of the sod, and visit the merch tables. Our, a lot of the all of the stuff downstairs is made in the pile. A lot of it's made by our rescued girls. Uh, a lot of it, our girls are being trained to make. So not everything down there they have actually made at the moment, but the, a lot of the companies that we've got the goods from are training our girls and our children to be able to do that stuff. So um, have a look at that. Some great stuff down there for Christmas. If this is a verse that we really cling tight to from Isaiah. And it just talks about spending ourselves on behalf of the hungry, satisfying the needs of the poor, and it's the two-way street scenario here because the second part of the verse says that if we are doing those things, then our light will rise in the darkness and our night will become like the noonday. And there's two aspects to that that, I, that really touch us. One is that if we go on a mission trip, if we go to help and serve and we go to bless another people group, we end up getting blessed. So there's that two-way street in it. The other part of it is that we're shining our light in the darkness and we're letting people see the love of Christ. And like we said at the start, that's our primary goal is to keep getting that gospel message out there. And I've never seen uh, an evangelistic people group like the Nepalese. When, once they've accepted the gospel, they really go to town with it. Um, Freedom Tour is coming up next year. In this instance, we're, we're going to have run concert-style formats. We're bringing a bunch of kids over, a band, some singers, Dancers, they're going to introduce us to traditional Nepali culture through dance, through singing. And we're also going to have some of our rescue girls come and share their testimonies. So it's going to be a powerful opportunity. Love for you guys to join with, um, well, to either put your hand up. When will your building be done? No pressure, but if it's ready by... <laughs> be a year or two, won't it? Six months. Sweet. I'm not putting any pressure on your pastors and leaders here. You guys can do that. We'd love to come and do a concert in your new venue. All right, so hammer them for that. All right, thank you guys very much. Really appreciate you having us here this morning. It's a, it's a very 
impacting ministry. There's a lot of aspects to it. We've given you a, a real brief, quick snapshot into a, a really big ministry. If you've got any questions, we'd love happy to take those now. Um, there's no questions. I know that you'll want to get out of here. <laughs> I'm terrible. Is it me or the ministry? No, uh, no, you. Yeah, no. I can greet and I can say goodbye. And uh, in, in Kathmandu itself, um, English, it's, it's the, tourism is the second highest income earner in Kathmandu. Okay, so you've got most of the schools have cottoned on to the fact that if they teach English, then they're going to get more kids in and the kids are going to have a you know, much better shot at getting work outside of school um, so there is areas around where you can get by with just like just rock out without a translator most of the time we have translators like we do interviews with the children for the sponsorship to update every time we go over and get fresh photos for all the sponsors all that sort of thing we have to have a translator with the littlies um, they talk way too quick um, but if you're in a shop you can usually get by once you get out of the city you need to know the local lingo. Yeah. Yeah. And no, I'm not there. <laughs> Any other questions, folks? You'll be downstairs anyway. Yeah, sure. We'll, we'll be downstairs, catch up with us there. Thank you again so much for your time. Thanks for having us here. I always like to share a scripture with people like yourselves and those of you who know me know that this is the scripture I'll, I'll share with this in mind we will constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of this calling his calling and that by his power he may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act that's prompted by your faith we pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 11 and 12. May God bless you both. Let's pray. Lord, we've been challenged beyond our ability to comprehend this morning. To think that there are beautiful little children suffering at the hands of cruel and wicked people when it was our Lord Jesus who said suffer the little children to come unto me for of such is the kingdom of God so for this ministry we just ask you Lord to put your hand upon it in such a way that not only 10, 20, 30, 100 but thousands of young people might be rescued from these awful situations. Lord, you are the God who can. Nothing is too hard for you. So we want to pray very particularly, Lord, for this ministry of Transform the Nations. Thank you for Graham Kerr, his vision and his ministry. And we pray particularly, Lord, that you will bless those who are ministering today in Nepal. And we ask for your blessing on them. 
We pray that your servants here will be encouraged as they move around and share this. We thank you that uh, they've come to us today. And though we're faced with the challenge of a new building, we just look across the world and see that there are literally so many, so many people who have nothing to live in, who live in those shabby little huts. We're talking about our new building and we think of a church over there that can only afford a bit of plastic to go across the top of a, a bit of a frame. Lord, it's a challenge to our hearts. So we do commend them to you now and we pray that the prayer that Paul prayed for that church at Thessalonica will be a prayer that we too can say amen to. We don't forget Sarah today, Lord, and we just ask that in her delivery there'll be no complications and that you'll grant that she has a beautiful child. We just thank you that we can entrust it to your care. And for all of us, Lord, we thank you. And now we pray that for each of us, the grace of our Lord Jesus will be our source of joy and provision, that the love of God will not only flow into our hearts, but flow out from within us and to touch the lives of others. And that every single day of our life, in these coming days, we will live knowing that we are in partnership with the Holy Spirit, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and that our lives will bring glory to you. So we thank you and ask for your blessing in our Saviour's name. Amen. God bless you all.